The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth, from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Salah. Those are the first six verses of Psalm 50, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, March the 10th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and my name's John Green. I'm your host. Thanks for being with me today. I appreciate it very much. We are continuing our look at Deuteronomy, uh, beginning in chapter 9, verse 23, through chapter 10, verse 5, in the Gospel according to John, chapter 3, verses 16 to 21, and in the epistle is the letter to the Hebrews, the fourth chapter the first 10 verses. So remember that what we what we were getting yesterday was the um, Moses recounting the stubbornness of the people and the, the, the stiff-necked nature where they turned away from uh, the Lord while he was on the mountain. And now he's going to continue with a little more of the, um, the story. He's going to pick it up, but he's also going to add one other thing. Uh, and when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and take possession of the land that I've given you, that you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and didn't believe him or obey his voice. You've been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. So he, he's talking about the when they refused to believe that the Lord was going to give them the land, they were afraid to go up, and that's why they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years. So he said, so I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days. This is the 40 days that he's talking about have to do with the, the second time he went back up on the mountain after they um, rejected, after they had done the golden calf, when he had to go back up the second time. So he, I lay prostrate before the Lord these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you've brought up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to make them into the land that he promised them, take them into the land that he promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. So he's saying, look, if you do this, remember, you know, he's he called on the people to remember God. And he's calling on God to remember his servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and do this for them. Don't regard the stubbornness of this people or the wickedness of their sin. No, no, no. Don't do that. Look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, and deliver these people for their sake. And because the, and his argument here is otherwise, you know what, the people back in Egypt would come to the wrong conclusion. They would conclude the wrong thing, that, that God wasn't able to to get them into the land, and that he actually hated these people, and he brought them out there to kill them outside our land and leave them out there in the wilderness. And so he says, that's what they're going to say. That's what's going to be said if you if you destroy this people now. He said, for they're your people and your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Remember that, that initially God had said, go down there, the people that you brought up, <laughs> your people that you brought up out of Egypt, uh-huh, they've rebelled against me. And so here he's saying, no, 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 they're your people, your heritage. You brought them out with your great power and by your outstretched arm. At that time, the Lord said to me, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. 
and I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two tablets of stone like the first and went up the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. So God's given him a trunk, essentially, to keep this thing in. Uh, these tablets in because he broke the first ones, and so we're going to put them in this in this ark, this this trunk for safekeeping. And so Moses is the one who actually built the ark, and he wrote. The, now I don't mean the ark that, as in Noah, <laughs> I mean the ark of the covenant. So as he and he wrote, he God wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before, the Ten Commandments that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came back down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are, as the Lord commanded me. So he, he's saying, look, you know, God's the one who brought you out. It wasn't me. Um, he's the one who will get you into the land. You've got to trust him. You've got to believe in him. It's the biggest failure that you people have is you keep failing to believe that he's able to do these things. And, and so you've come to false conclusions. And that causes further rebellion. It's a lack of faith. And whenever our faith wanes, we are in danger of falling into serious and grievous sin. I had a conversation with a friend of mine this morning about this. We were talking about some things, and she was she's made the comment that some that uh, we have got a friend who's very sick, and so she made the comment that a friend of uh, the, well, the the son of the woman who's sick made the comment about, you know, she's not going to die until it's her time, until God's decided that it's her time. And it's one of the biggest things, I think, that, that we tend to, to fall apart on and fail at is that belief in the, uh, in the utter sovereignty of God over all things, that nothing is too small for him, nothing is too great for him. It, it requires us to have faith in all things, both small things and great things, and, and all we have to do is trust him. And, and the further we get away from the understanding of the sovereignty of God in all things, the, the worse we become because the more desperate we become. And so we begin to do all kinds of things, thinking God either can't do anything or he won't do anything. And so we end up taking matters into our own hands and making a mess of things. If we would just pray and leave things with him, we'd be far better off. But a belief in the sovereignty of God and in the presence of God are the two most necessary things for us to, to remain in him. In the gospel today, remember Jesus has been talking to Nicodemus. And so he's explaining now his mission in the world, because he's, what he said is that you don't understand the things we're talking about. You don't understand the spiritual things of the world. You only understand, and even then, barely so, the things of earth. And so he says, so God so loved the world? That's a big statement. When he says the cosmos, that is a much bigger statement than God so loved his people, the people of the land. No, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That to us, it's so familiar that we don't even think about it, right? And we don't think about the statement that he's actually making here. He's talking about the world. He's not talking about just the people. No, his love expands and his covenant community expands in the work of Jesus. And he's announcing it right here in the beginning. And, and it just seems like that, that we make it so simple that we, we miss the, the shock that would have been the initial audience. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him in the whole world should not perish but have eternal life. So the way for all people 
to come into the covenant of, of life with the living God is to believe in his son, the one that he sent. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus' expansive language here when he says this, and in such a way that it would have shocked everybody. Wait a minute, his mission is to the world? It's not just to be the Jewish Messiah. No, it's that everybody would have salvation in him, in the whole world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus making not just an expansive statement here, he's making a very finite and definite claim to be the Son of God and that believing in him as the only Son of God is the only way to have life. It's the only way to not be condemned because he says whoever doesn't believe is already condemned because he doesn't believe. And so there's, there's condemnation for those who do not believe. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there is condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. And it doesn't matter here whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile. Jesus doesn't make a distinction. He's talking about the world and whoever, the word he keeps using here, is applied to the world, not just to the Jewish community. And that's the reason he's told Nicodemus you've got to be born again. That your first birth, your birth into Judaism, was not as fortuitous as you think it is. That's not enough. Just being born into the covenant community isn't enough. No, it requires faith. It requires belief in order to receive the benefits of the covenant. And this is the judgment. He says, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And it's the stuff that Paul talks about in different occasions in, in these things that are done in secret, these things that are done in the darkness, in the night, versus the things that are done during the daytime, in the light. And so we, we tend to hide those things, right? We tend to hide a lot of things that, that we know are sin, and yet we still want the pretense, at least for everybody else's sake, we want people to believe in the pretense that we are more righteous than, than we know ourselves to be. And so Jesus is saying that, that you've got to bring all that out into the light. His, his light is the disinfectant light, that light that takes away the sin. I mean, it, it transcends the UV light which is used in a lot of therapies. But it, it's Jesus' power to forgive us is absolute. It's committed completely to him. And so we are called then to have faith in him in all things. If we have faith in him that, that we will have eternal life if we believe in his name, he's asking us to believe more than that. And as I said before, John's uh, gospel is sort of this, this journey of faith. And it begins with a simple faith that he can do certain kinds of things. But then it keeps building to where you see he is the only Son of God, and therefore he is unique in the universe, and that you can trust him in all things. You can trust him for his promise of presence. You can trust him for the promise that is, as we work and set about the work that he's given us to do, that he'll be there with us and give us success in that work. It's important that we have faith that in all things he is sovereign. 
It doesn't mean there's no place for us. It doesn't mean we don't have something to do because he's given us things to do. But what it means is, is that ultimately the results are his. And, and that's exactly what he's saying here. He's talking about belief. And belief is more than just intellectual assent. Yep, I'm going to check the box that I believe that. No, it's belief means that you stake your whole life on that being true. So if you stake your whole life on it being true that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God and that salvation is only in his name and that he died in order that we could have eternal life, he was resurrected to show that that is that's what's going to happen, that resurrection is real. And then in the outpouring of the Spirit, he gives us himself. And so what we're called to do is work going forward. But we work with faith. We work with great faith that the results are all up to him. But we do the work that we've been given to do in order that we might see more of him. In the Hebrews passage, he says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And he says that as long as there is a today, then there's hope. For good news came to us, just as to them, the, the community in the wilderness, but the message they heard didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So faith is what makes us one in Christ. Our faith in him makes us one. That's our unity, is our confession and statement of faith in Jesus. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And we enter the rest by believing in the sovereignty of God. We believe that we are in Christ Jesus, and we can believe we're in Christ Jesus because we're told by Paul that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Spirit. So if he's given us your Spirit, if you, you've been given his Spirit to believe and to know and to state that Jesus is Lord, then, then you're in the covenant community, and you can have that faith that that faith will, per, that, that, that will persevere to the end. And, and it's in that way that you enter into his rest because you lose fear of judgment and death. So you can enter into his rest, and you enter into his rest not by the merits of the works that you do or have done or will do, but by the merits and the death and the blood of Christ. He says, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. And so he says that, that the work of God was done on that seventh day, and then it was completed, finished at the cross. And that's exactly what Jesus said. It is finished. So the work of God was done, completed forever and all time at the cross in the death of Christ. And so that is the way we enter into God's rest, where he rests from all his works on the seventh day. And we rest in the sovereignty and the love and the mercy of God manifest in the death of Christ on the cross and then the resurrection from the dead. He says, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. 
So we work from rest, but we rest from work. And so the work that we're given to do, we do it from a position and a place of rest as God moves us and directs us to the works that we've been given to do. We can rest from our works so that we can do the works of God and participate with him in the work that he continues to do in the world to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And until that mission is complete, then today is the day for us to be about that work but we work from rest. We don't work in order to gain salvation. We have salvation as a possession through faith in Christ. It's only a joy for us to do the work of God in order that we might see him working in the world today.